Welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. Uh, joining me is an old friend, uh, Liz Winstead. She's the co-founder of The Daily Show and she's founder of Abortion Access Front. And we're gonna talk about Amy Coney Barrett. Um, Liz, good to have you back. Thanks, thanks, it's great to be here, always. All right, all right, so first, uh, today there was news that uh, Democrats have a shot at blocking the nomination now because three Republican senators, including two on the Judiciary Committee, have coronavirus. So they would have to ask for quorum calls and then boycott the proceedings to delay it. It seems like it could be a fairly easy thing to do. Nine, Mitch McConnell might have countermeasures that he institutes and it would be a battle at the end. And they're running out of time. They'd only have a week left by the time they got the general vote in the Senate floor. So. First, let me ask you, are you hopeful that the Democrats could pull off any maneuver to delay these proceedings enough to affect it before the election? <laughs> Democrats pulling off a maneuver is a hilarious concept because it seems this this repetitive nature of Democrats where they keep bringing a PowerPoint presentation to a knife fight and it's just got to stop. So like, I wish they would have some kind of plan, I guess. I'm hoping, I mean, I don't even know how to say I'm hoping. Um, the fact that it would take a pandemic to infect senators, and that's the only way we could stop this horrifyingly unqualified person to get on the Supreme Court feels really scary. I don't know. The only trick I know that Democrats would have up their sleeve, and it is something that Norm Ornstein, from the American Enterprise Institute put out there, which is, he said, hey Schumer, if this was reversed and and you were the majority leader, what the Republicans would do is they would wait till enough of you got sick. And then the, the Senate minority leader would call everyone together and those that weren't sick would show up and he would have enough votes to say, we're gonna elect a new majority leader. And it's gonna be me. And then we're going to, first thing we're gonna do is, of course, switch out all of the um, all the judiciary, the chairmanships, so that you wouldn't even call Amy up for a vote. And you would make sure you would ban anybody with corona from the floor of the Senate. Like, I would not put that past Republicans to do that. And I was like, I wish that they would be that cagey, but I don't see it. Um, at this point, I feel like if people keep getting sicker, McConnell's not going to have any choice because of the gestational, um, you know, nature of Corona. You have to, you can get sicker and sicker, and you have to quarantine. So, you know, fingers crossed that um, that's the way that this person does not get a hearing. So, uh, Tom Cotton already said we'll wheel them in if we have to, meaning we'll endanger all of your lives if we have to, because we're pro-life. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, oppressing women is just this important to us. Now, when it comes to oppressing women, we are going to wheel them in. We're going to poison everybody. We're just going in hard. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about Barrett herself. Um, first, quickly, of course, when she gets up there, if she gets up there, she'll say, "A Roe <laughs> versus Wade." I've never put any thought into it, and my God, of course, it won't affect how I view judicial precedent. That's what they all say, and then they never act on it. They're all liars. Let's just keep it real. Okay, so we all, we know that. But what gives you confidence 
that unfortunately she would overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, the confidence that I have is that she currently sits on the Seventh Circuit. And the Seventh Circuit has already had two abortion cases before it. The Seventh Circuit is Kentucky and Indiana and some varying other places. The first case she ruled on was minors seeking, there was a law in Indiana where minors seeking abortion would have to get their parents consent. And normally in many states that is a law. And if the parents don't consent, the minor can go through a judicial bypass, which is horrifying enough that a minor would have to ask a judge if they need, if they could get an abortion. Because a judge who meets somebody in 10 minutes can really assess whether or not you're capable of having an abortion. And if you're not, then you're for sure capable to parent. This Indiana law is different because the Indiana law removed any judicial bypass. So if your parents said no, and if the person who impregnated you didn't want you to have an abortion, they could stop you. Just ostensibly giving ownership to a person's body to somebody they had sex with, which is horrifying. So she already ruled that did not pass because it's unconstitutional and against Roe v. Wade. She voted in the dissent. The second case was, I'm sure you've heard that in several states, workarounds Roe v. Wade is trying to create these oppressive laws against abortion providers. And the other one that she ruled in favor of or said was constitutional was forcing a provider to provide cremation or burial services for every fetus miscarriage or abortion in the state of Indiana. And at first you're thinking, must be that big funeral lobby coming in hard and saying we want that. No, like the Cremation Society of America, they were like, this is an impossible thing to do. It's also oppressive, it's also unnecessary. And what is the point of it? And the state was arguing the point of it was for the dignity of the fetus. And so when they couldn't find a way around making this feasible, the state suggested mass graves for the dignity of the fetus. So their own hypocrisy comes in. And she also thought that that was perfectly fine and constitutional. So you add those two rulings and the fact that in 2006, she signed on to a letter to St. Joseph Right for Life. St. Joseph is a community outside of South Bend where she is a professor at Notre Dame and went to school there. They're a virulently aggressive strain of anti-abortion folks. She signed on to a letter saying that abortion is barbaric. And this organization has sent hundreds of protesters to the clinic in South Bend. This organization bought literally a cat hospital and turned it into a fake clinic so they could lure people seeking abortion in South Bend over to this other fake clinic that looks like an abortion clinic. But really it's a place where they dissuade and lie to patients seeking abortion care. So she's on record 100 times over as ruling specifically against the tenets of Roe v. Wade in other lower court decisions. And really as an activist has come forward with anti-abortion rhetoric and signing onto like really inflammatory, dangerous language when it comes to her own activism. So Liz, 
of course, a lot of folks are saying her religion should be out of bounds. And now Democrats are scared to death to bring it up. And they're already Dick Durbin and others are putting out statements saying, "Oh my God, we definitely won't touch that. But she is in a, in a group called People of Praise that is a sect of Catholicism. And she's written in the past, a legal career is but a means to an end. And that end is the building the kingdom of God. And that you Catholic lawyers should consult with quote God before making a choice. So um, do you think it's fair to discuss these issues? And do you think it's uh, politically um, positive or negative to discuss those issues? Well, I first of all, I think the hypocrisy of acting like we don't talk about religion when Peter King, who is a congressperson from uh, New York actually held hearings on whether or not Muslims should actually work in our government after 9-11. So when it comes to any other religion that is not Christianity, they don't mind bringing it up at all, demonizing it, bastardizing it, turning it into something else. When your religion has formed who you are in making decisions that go out of the bounds of our constitution, those things should be called into question. This people of praise that you cite, you have to make a covenant to people of praise. And part of that covenant is that you, um, have made a pact and made a decision that your husband rules the opinions in the household. And if somebody who's making opinions on a higher court about my life is now consulting the people of praise cult and their husband's opinions, that's three people I didn't ask for to have opinions about my own body and, and about how to interpret the constitution. And I'm sorry, no, then it is in play. Yeah, and they do literally have handmaids, and they're supposed to also consult their handmaids. Yes. They recently changed the name because of Handmaid's Tale, which yes. was based on them. Yes. But you know, so when you have yeah. a Jesus whisperer in your world, and you think that that's fine to, and when you also who, what kind of person who believes that you know the the highest power that they believe in is is their religion and their God. Um, why would you allow secular laws to supersede that? When we're talking about your time on earth versus your time in eternity, why would you believe the person who says, I'm really gonna really think about this and not let my eternal life get in the way of my short time on earth? It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, and and Liz, to your point about Muslims, if uh, the nominee was Muslim and said, "Oh, I, I have a fundamentalist view of Sharia law, uh, and I will, and I'm guided by that, uh, and I let it affect my decisions, as she has said about her version of Catholicism. And oh, by the way, uh, my Imam uh, appointed uh, a Sharia handmaiden for me, and I must consult her before making all of my decisions. And as a good uh, Muslim woman, I must let my husband, who you don't know, and is not going to be part of this proceedings, make the decisions for me. Any chance that person would be confirmed? Any chance that person would be let into our country? <laughs> we have laws against that. We have a, Muslim, a racist Muslim ban already in place, you know, because of the very thing you just said. Yeah, and look, I will defend Muslim Americans to the end. They are 100% American, not 99% or 50%. Yes. But if there was a fundamentalist Muslim who wanted to go on the Supreme Court and say, Hey, you know, my interpretation of Islam is that we cut off hands if you steal something. So I'm gonna apply that on the Supreme Court. My answer to that would be, hell no, you're not. 
that's not how it works. Your job is not to interpret the Quran or the Bible or your handmaid's tale. Your job is to interpret the constitution. Right. And uh, your dogma should have nothing to do with that, but she's proudly declared that it will. So ironically, God help us all. And also Democrats should just be holding up their own Catholics who have not allowed things to get in the way. Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, I've had both of their feet to the fire on their stances on abortion because they don't rule against abortion, but they don't advocate for it. You know, it's just like there are people on the Supreme Court already who are Catholic. I'm sorry, there's already five of them. So um, it's not like we have a problem putting Catholics on the Supreme Court. It's the majority religion. That's right. Uh, on the court, at least. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. on the court, yes. Right. Uh, Liz Winstead, uh, everybody check out Abortion Access Front. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. All right, back on a conversation. Uh, well, a conversation that everybody's having across the country is who to vote for. Um, now, a lot of folks have made up their minds, but uh, one group that might not have made up their mind completely are some progressives. Well, that's the camp we're in. Uh, so, we want to bring on another progressive who Definitely has made up their mind and is trying to get you to make up your mind. It's Dan Shirell. He's campaign director for VoteTrumpOut.org. And I just want to give you guys a background. I mean, it's an offshoot of RootsAction.org, which is a very progressive organization. So, no question that these folks are progressive. Because, and Dan, I got to clarify that because some from time to time, there'll be some totally fake group coming out of Washington pretending to be progressive and yeah. telling everybody how awesome corporations are. Mm, um, not so, <laughs> yeah. So Dan, um, you acknowledge as, as do I that Biden's got issues. Uh, as progressives, we don't agree with him on a lot of it, uh, of those um, policy differences. So why go out of your way uh, to lead a group uh, helping him to become president? Yeah, I think the first thing I want to say is the votetrumpout.org campaign is not endorsing Joe Biden. As progressives and leftists, we disagree with him substantially on pretty much every important issue. And so I think a lot of people, a lot of folks, especially who didn't support Biden in the primary, have tried to take the tack post primary of sort of selling Joe Biden as a product to the left. See, he's not so bad. See, he's flexible on certain issues. What we're saying is, look, he's our opponent too. Like, I do not support Joe Biden, but he is the opponent we would far rather have in the White House. And that's because if you look historically, some of the most progressive pieces of legislation we have ever passed in this country, from the Voting Rights Act to the original New Deal, these were passed under centrist presidents. Like, FDR and LBJ did not come into the White House with a massive radical mandate. They came in as sort of moderate candidates from their party, but were pushed by disciplined and organized people's movements to pass some of the most consequential progressive legislation in our country's history. And I know that the stage is ideally set for the same thing to happen with Joe Biden. And we're also aware that the progressive movement is at a zenith, not in the deer of our power right now. Like we had 15 million people come to the streets in support of racial justice and against police violence. That's the largest popular uprising our country has ever seen. We've got every member of the squad won her reelection, and it's just, it's expanding every day. We're putting people's candidates up against the failed status quo, and we're winning. Like the wind is at our backs right now. It may not feel like it after Bernie's defeat, but the wind is really at our backs. We have moved things 
like the Green New Deal, like Black Lives Matter to the center of the democratic conversation. And it would be madness to quit while we're ahead. So what we're saying is we need to vote Trump out, but that's not the end zone, that's the starting line. Then from day one, we're holding Biden accountable to a progressive agenda. And we've got more power to do that now than we have certainly for my life, in my lifetime, I'm 29. So um, yeah, we're not, we don't think you have to jump on the Joe Biden bandwagon to recognize that the ethical and strategic vote right now is a vote for Joe Biden. Yeah, look, the the election is binary. You got to vote for uh, basically one of the other. Uh, well, let's put it this way: certainly one of the other is going to win. There's no yeah. question about that. Um, but uh, it doesn't mean that you're thinking about it has to be binary. If I vote for someone, that means I love them. No, it just means I don't dislike them as much as I dislike the other guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, it might mean that you love them, but that's your range. That's your range of why you would vote for someone. You're look. I don't love the argument that they make every time. Hey, vote for Benjamin Netanyahu because you know LBJ was a very conservative Democrat and he wound up doing the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. Yeah, no, let's vote for the progressive first. But if we don't have a choice and and there is no progressive. Well, then I'll take LBJ over uh, Goebbels. And I don't think that that's a hard decision. And and it turned out, yes, uh, Democratic presidents, no matter how conservative they are, it can be pushed in a more progressive direction. Whereas our chance of pushing Trump in a progressive direction is 0%. Uh, now, uh, having said all that, you can obviously tell I'm on your side. Uh, so let me play devil's advocate. Yeah. So some progressives say, hey, Jenk and Dan, you guys are doing vote shaming and it's very ugly. And I want to vote for a Green Party candidate that's much more aligned with my views. And you guys told us all of our lives to vote for candidates who are more aligned with our views. What's wrong with that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And if I can answer on behalf of both of us, Jenk and Dan, I would say that if you live in a non-swing state, go ahead and vote for the candidate that aligns with your values. Like if you live in California and New York, vote green, that's fine. But what we're saying is that every single progressive needs to be thrown down in this election because it's not a normal election. What we're up against is the literal rise of fascism in this country. And I think there's this fantasy that you know, if Trump wins again, okay, we're gonna lose some battles and then we'll go on to continue the fight. But actually, the very terrain on which the progressive movement fights its battles may no longer exist after four years of Trump. After four more years of Trump, our climate may be past the point of no return. Our democracy may be past the point of no return. So this is not about a vote to support support Joe Biden. This is a vote about preserving the terrain on which our progressive movements can win. And I also don't think, you know, this isn't about vote shaming. I think people should ultimately make the choice that they're trying to make. But I think the progressive movement is powerful now. And so we have to get out of this mindset where we're seeing voting as primarily an individual consumer choice. I'm gonna choose the product that's most aligned with me, that's best aligned with me. Voting is one strategic act on a much larger chessboard. And we have to be cognizant of that chessboard. We have a responsibility to, because we're powerful now. Like if we play this game right, we can literally save the ensure the survival of organized civilization from the climate crisis. But we have to understand the board we're playing on. And right now, we have to make the strategic chess move to elect Joe Biden. And that is the first in a series of many, many moves. If we continue to be in this mindset where voting is the ultimate expression of our democratic participation and then we're done, that's it. 
um, then will continue to play into the hands of both Trump and the neoliberal neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party. So yeah, yeah. So um, I of course I agree with Dan. Uh, I talk about that chess board all the time. That's why you gotta. That's why co-founded Just Democrats and asked you guys to support them, um, meaning the audience, and you guys did, and it's made all the difference. And uh, and and groups like Wolfpack, which look to get money out of politics, so activism and primaries are much more important. But this is a unique general election uh, that is existential. Uh, democracy is on the line here, and so it's not just me and Dan saying it. Uh, People who signed on to this, of course, the co-founders of Roots Action, Jeff Cohen and Norma Solomon, who are wonderful progressives, but other great progressives like Medea Benjamin, Roseanne DeMauro, Addy Barkin, Ro Khanna, and Noam Chomsky. And we showed an interview for you guys just yesterday from Noam Chomsky, where he said, it's like voting for Hitler. So no, no, you should not countenance it under any circumstance. And I'll go slightly further than Dan. You don't know that your state is not a swing state. This is what I said in 2016 too. People thought, "Oh no, I live in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania always votes blue." Oops. Right now, Iowa's in play. Arizona's in play. North Carolina's in play. There's a poll out that Joe Biden is leading in Georgia. You don't know if you live in a swing state or not, unless you're like a political expert. And I'm just telling you, don't take any chances. This is not the election to take chances, but. But we have to discuss one other thing, Dan. So yeah. you say we're going to pressure Biden if he wins on day one. So let's talk about that. So to reassure progressives, tell us your strategy. How do we pressure Biden if he wins? So if Biden, when Biden comes into office, two things will be very different from when Obama adopted his first term. First of all, Biden's a weak executive. He's he can't get a sentence out clear. He doesn't have a massive like popular mandate. Um, he's the he's the guy who came out when the cookie crumbled on the primary, and honestly, his enthusiasm numbers are low. So a he doesn't have a huge mandate. B the left wing of the party, our AOCs, our Ilhan Omar's, our Rashida Tlaibs, are so much more powerful than they were under Obama. Under Obama, you know, Elizabeth Warren was the left wing of the Democratic Party. That's what Occupy got us, Elizabeth Warren. We are on a totally different ballgame right now. So first of all, we've got people. And Capitol Hill, who are ready and organized to push Joe Biden. And then we've got movements like the Black Lives Matter movement and the Sunrise movement, for example, that have laid out specific demands, who have foisted their narrative frame into the center of the debate, and who, with more mobilization, can actually push Biden and his coalition over the edge. So, our strategy right now is to build progressive power in this general election by telling people to vote Trump out, then pressure Biden from day one. Plans are in the work for an inauguration day event that dwarfs Joe Biden's in size, whether that's in person or on Zoom remains to be seen. And from there, we know exactly what our demand list is going to be in the first 100 days. And we think there is going to be a serious mandate from the Democratic Party to enact that mandate, to not neuter themselves like they did in the first administration of Obama. And we're going to mobilize that energy to make sure that Biden understands that his legacy will be defined based on how he rose to this occasion. Did he combat the economic crisis from COVID by passing a Green New Deal? Did he combat the anti-democratic measures of Mitch McConnell and the Republican leadership by abolishing the filibuster, by packing the court, by giving statehood to DC and Puerto Rico? We will in no uncertain terms from the very beginning of his presidency, make sure that he knows and the public knows that his legacy will be defined based on those sets of choices. 
All right, Dan, uh, everybody check out votetrumpout.org. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you, Jenk.